Hello, this is Chris de Blasio, one of the hosts of the Greatest Games podcast. If you're enjoying this content, please tell a friend and encourage them to like, listen, and subscribe. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here as always on the Greatest Games podcast, a chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. As always, it can be their time as a head coach, an assistant coach, a high school coach, a JV coach, or a professional basketball coach. Well, I tell you what, Chris, we have got another special guest, another special episode here, and I always pay close attention to your intro. I pay attention to the acronyms, you may say, any kind of NBA, CYO, any, whatever acronyms you throw out there, always interested to hear. But today we have one of the most successful NBA coaches that we will ever be able to find. He is now a corporate speaker. We're going to learn a lot more about that as well. But Coach Kevin Eastman, welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Chris. Um, you know, every, anytime I'm on things like this, I, I always have to say thank you for, for all of us who are listeners, right? Because you give us opportunities to learn from people that we may not ever be able to meet. And, um, you know, everybody thinks that you have to have mentors that you know, but you can have, I've had a lot of mentors that I really didn't know on a, on a personal, deep personal basis. So uh, thanks for doing this. Hey, Coach, that's really it's interesting you say that because Brian and I talked about uh, we're going to try to get Bill Curry on the podcast, even though he's not a basketball coach. But I have studied and watched and listened and read everything Bill Curry said for the last 20 years. And I'm not a football coach, and, you know, he's not a basketball coach, but, but I consider him his wisdom mentorship to me. Yeah, well uh... – it's funny you mention that because I've read many articles on Coach Curry because he is a guy that kind of came across my radar when I was still a college coach. And um, he always seemed to have uh, – he does a great job of thinking before he opens his mouth. So um, – and also uh, creating a belief within himself prior to any words being heard. <clears throat> and I think we need that today. You know, we need – we need people to think first, then speak, and we need people to listen first and then respond. A lot of people have it backwards nowadays. But Coach Curry was a, a great example from, um, uh, from his faith to his fundamentals of success, fundamentals of leadership, fundamentals of coaching. Absolutely. Uh, so, Coach, why don't you take us through your uh, journey in basketball and, and you know, take us through from, from your time as a – Young lad in the great state of New Jersey, Brian, where Coach Eastman grew yeah. up, and all the way through to where you are now today. Well, you know, since this pandemic broke, uh, and there are so many podcasts and Zoom presentations that I've done, uh, I'm often asked, tell us about your journey. And um, they'd say, follow it up with, tell us where you've been. But <clears throat> I don't think a journey, the lessons of a journey are not in where you've been. Because where you've been is just the end product. And we really don't learn anything from knowing what the end product was. It's like I remember listening to a documentary on Beyonce. And I, I, it was either Beyonce or J-Lo. And, and they said, one of the two of them said, you know, it's taken me 15 years to become an overnight sensation. 
So if we just worry about uh, or concern ourselves, wow, Beyonce or, or Jennifer Lopez has gotten to this level, I'm going to get there too. And then we don't pay attention to it. Well, how did they do it? So to me, uh, the true question becomes, how did you get to where you got? More so than where did you end up? So because the, the life lessons and the, and the career lessons are in what they did to get there. So uh, for me, uh, I will tell you very quickly where I've been. I, I, now I'm going to have to think about this. Um, as a college assistant, uh, you can tell my eyes are moving around because I'm trying to think of where in the, I've been to so many places. But as a college assistant, I, I think it was kind of in, in, in this order. University of Richmond as a graduate assistant, then VCU as an assistant. No, you missed one. No, I got your resume up here, Coach. What is it? What did I miss? Colorado State. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, Colorado State. <laughs> then VCU and Tulsa's in there. Uh, then a head coach, Belmont Abbey, UNC Wilmington, uh, Washington State. And then in the NBA, uh, assistant coach with the Clippers and Celtics, as well as uh, vice president uh, uh, of the Celtics. And then a couple of stops along the way as an athletic director. So – um, what does, what does all that mean? Uh, number one, sometimes in coaching and those who want to keep moving up in the profession, sometimes to move up, you actually have to move. And, uh, that was the case with us. I think we've had over 20 to 25 homes we've lived in over the course of our career. Uh, not the best stat to tell people, uh, but it is, it is the reality of my career, um, but I think along the way, the reason I was able to move up, and, and some people say that I've had a successful career, and I appreciate them saying that, but the tenets of, of me moving up are, uh, number one, uh, I learned long ago, and I've been saying this for the last 35, 40 years maybe, there's two types of coaches in this world, there's two types of people in this world, there's two types of players in this world. There are the know-it-alls, and we have worked with and probably coached uh, that grouping. But they may get ahead of us early on in their careers, but eventually we, in the second group, we pass them. And that's what happened for me. Uh, instead of being a know-it-all, I, I wanted to make sure I was a learn-it-all. I learned as much as I can about my craft. And then, but I didn't just rely on that. I didn't really have terminology for it at the time that I now have, but there's there's knowledge acquisition and there's knowledge application. The key to move up and the key to advance in your career is obviously step one of getting acquiring knowledge, but then applying that knowledge you acquired to your career so that you can improve your competence. Because off air, we were talking about Eddie Fogler and how he's so great at, at helping colleges and uh, maybe even uh, high schools at, at some point, um, uh, higher coaches. And one of the things I'm sure he looks for and listens for is their competence level, because you have to know what you're talking about for anyone to believe in you. So for me, it was lifelong learning. I also believe separators in this world right now, separators to move up, progress, advance, are humility, uh, just being humble. It, it can't be all about you. Uh, that's not the world we live in right now. And then being vulnerable with the understanding that 
you don't know everything. But the most important thing to know is what you don't know. Or as a guy I used to work with, Lawrence Frank, he's now the president of basketball for the Los Angeles Clippers. You know, he, um, a fellow Jersey guy, actually, uh, but he's from North Jersey, the part of New Jersey that we really don't even uh, acknowledge. Being oh, 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 Coach, I'm, Coach, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you right there. Sorry. Teaneck High School, 1995 graduate, seven years after Coach Frank. Right yeah, here. Well, it took Coach Frank around seven years to graduate. <laughs> so, and you can send the copy of this to L. <laughs> I don't really care. But um, he has this term he uses. Um, when he took over, he had never been in the front office before. So he understood that he didn't understand everything about the front office. So I remember uh, asking him at one point, what's going to be the, the biggest thing you do early on in your tenure? And he said, I'm going to try and hire my gaps. I have gaps in my knowledge. I have gaps in my experience. I need to hire those gaps, people who are good at those things that he's not. So that's the vulnerability of Lawrence and the humility that he, he walks into the office each and every day by, hey, look, I can't get this done by myself because if it were just left up to me, the Clippers can't buy for a championship because I don't know enough, I'm not good enough, I haven't had enough experience to get us there. But collectively, we can do that. So those are just some things along my journey that uh, uh, were important to me to get to where I was. You know, Coach, I told, told you in pre-show chatting, we'll keep you about 30 minutes. Given that answer, I want to keep you about three hours. So I hope you're okay uh, with that. I'm just kidding. No, that is so, so rich. And I know Chris knows this. I've been chomping at the bit to be able to talk to you because of the personal growth and the continuous improvement. That's one of our core values here at Ridgeview High School is an AB is continuous improvement. We want to get that across to our coaches, our kids, our community, our staff. We want that to permeate everything that we're doing here. And so everybody that's listening to this knows that that's, that's what you're about. You've always been about that. Like you said, working on your craft. My question to you now is, and it's really it's I'm asking for a friend. I'm really asking for me too, because I'm the same way. I'm always trying to learn and grow. But at what point is enough enough? At what point for me, because I, I, like I said, I'm always listening to the podcast. I'm always reading. I'm always writing. I'm always trying to get better. Does it ever end? And when is it okay to just rest and say, okay, I've learned what I've learned in this area. And now I'm just going to relax. I, I really and truly, I have a hard time turning it off. So I, I, I don't know if anybody's ever asked you that. I'd be curious to hear what your answer is to that. Well, that's where the knowledge application part comes in. Um, you probably saw me turn when you were asking that question. I went into the top drawer of my desk where I, I it, it's different notebooks at different times, but this one happens to be, uh, yeah, uh, actually Buzz Williams sent this to me, the coach at uh, Texas A&M now. Mm -hmm. So this is my WILT notebook, W-I-L-T. And it's an acronym for what I learned today. So my challenge is that I have to have an entry at least one entry per day. Now, do I use all this? This is just the start of this one, but you can kind of see as I go through, uh, there's an, a number of entries here, right? No, I don't. But every now and then, we all have parts of our day where, hmm, let me just go back and just read through some of these pages. And I might come up on something, um, you know, back in the day, now we have Zoom, but I just happen to see this first one. 
keep in mind, conference calls show no body language. Oh, wow. Well, that's an important part of leadership to me is being able to read the body language. That's why teachers today, um, you know, I, I, I do, I try and put into my schedule and allow my, not allow, how do I say this in a good way? I, I'm, I'm always available for two or three. I, one of my most fun things I do speaking wise is when I go into school districts, when they have the beginning of the year and they have their professional growth and development day. And when I was first asked, I thought, God, what do I have to say to teachers? The only thing I can say to is thank you. Because to me, it's one of the, the most important professions in the world. Not like in South Carolina or Virginia or New Jersey, in the world. So one of the things that I, I feel bad for teachers right now is, uh, I would think as a teacher, you, you do kind of want to read the body language of those in your class, especially the ones you know that you, you may have to pay more attention to, right? So whatever, whatever it is that day, I don't use it all, all the time, but I have the opportunity to go back and maybe insert it when I might be looking for something. If I'm down, uh, we're all human beings, right? We're down. We, we, I call it leaking. Sometimes we leak discipline. Think about our teams. Sometimes they leak discipline. Sometimes they leak focus. Uh, some days they come in and they leak energy. So do we. So I might just pop this open one afternoon um, and just look at it. Uh, here's one that says, uh, the way to fix what's wrong is to do what's right. It's a great way to fix something that's wrong. Just think about, okay, what's the right thing to do here? And as Oprah said, when she was uh, having some issues with uh, uh, when Oprah Winfrey Network was about to go down, right, back a number of years back, the biggest thing they came to agree on to get themselves back was to just do the next right thing, right? So for me, I want to continue to read, uh, whether it be uh, the three books that I have on my desk right now, uh, to grow, develop, and improve, but that doesn't mean I use everything. And I think as your listeners, those who are young, they're probably going to run out of highlighters like I did when I was young because I highlighted every sentence. Well, now I have a little, little more discerning eye and mind, right? So there are less highlights in a book that I read because some of the things I read, I already know. So I don't need to, to highlight that. So that's how I do it. I don't ever want to stop. But for me, it's the knowledge application. After I read something, a book, I will then go back and look at all my highlights. And this only takes me a couple hours. Go back and look at every highlight because what I found that I highlighted on page 14, I, no, doesn't make any sense, don't need it. So I put a little X through that. And then I type the ones that I like into documents on my computer and uh, in, in categories. Uh, when I was coaching, you know, now it's a little different. I, I have categories of leadership, culture, teamwork, uh, personal development and success, all the things I speak on. Well, back when I was a coach, I had uh, pick and roll offense, pick and roll defense, transition defense, uh, sideline outs, ATOs, which in the NBA are after timeout plays ATO after timeout. So I would keep categories as I learned something new there, knowing full well that I wasn't going to use it all all the time. But I had it there if I needed it. And it may be I was looking for something in, as for an out-of-bounds play just to change when I was facing teams the second time around in the schedule. 
So I might go to my notes and just pick one or two plays that I thought might work. So that's how I do it, but I'm never going to stop. And the reason is because it's a personal philosophy I have. Um, it it, it kind of goes uh, something like this. There's more inside each of us. No matter how much success you've had, no matter what level you've attained, no matter what title you possess, there's still more inside of you. So how do we bring that out? We bring that out through self-reflection. We bring that out by being mentored by others. Um, you know, to this point in my life, I've never met Pete Carroll, but this is a great book. Every coach should read this book regardless of the sport because what they'll find out in, in this book, it's called Win Forever, is that Pete actually got fired in his two professional jobs with the Jets and the Patriots, got fired. And then once he got fired, he sat down with himself, took a yellow legal pad because he had read a book that John Wooden had written. And in it, John Wooden said, how can you succeed as a coach if you don't have a philosophy of life and a philosophy of how you're gonna run your organization? And Pete said at that point in the book, you can read it, man, you know, I've never actually been able to explain that to the teams that I've led. So if they don't understand it, how can they follow it? And if they don't understand it, how can they teach it to others? So that's why even today, with all the success he's had at USC and then the, the, the Seattle Seahawks, each year they start new. He goes over, in the beginning of each year, the philosophy, not just with the team, but the entire organization. So that was a long answer to a short question. Sorry about that. Uh, Coach, if, uh, apology not accepted, okay, because that there's so much there that I want to respond to. And I know I just said three hours. Let's go ahead and just book the whole day with you if that's possible. Yeah. There's so much there that you said that I'd relate to. I've been in rooms with Buzz Williams at the Final Four, listening to him give clinics. Uh, oh, sorry about that guys. Uh, Right, yeah. He's unbelievable. And he's, what, what he says, he just keeps saying it, write everything down write everything down. And then when somebody else is talking, what is he doing? He is opening up his book and writing everything down. So to hear, hear repeated back from you is incredible. And what I heard in all of that, Coach, is just this, this, this quote from Blaise Pascal for the French philosopher that I know probably a lot of people have listened and heard before. But all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. You do that a lot by reading, by writing, by going back and, and looking at your highlights. That is incredible. And hearing that story about Pete Carroll, about him getting fired and then coming back and essentially saying the same thing, sitting in that room alone, figuring out who am I and who am I? And then to go on and see what he's done from here. It's, it's incredible. Coach, I, I love every bit of that answer. Okay, great. Great. We'll keep him coming. Uh, I just want to go through some of the things, Brian, that he, that he mentioned in that, in that answer that was great. Basically, one of the things he's talking about is Bloom's taxonomy, is taking something, learning it, then applying it, which is, as a teacher, I try to do every day with my students. Um, by far, this is the most wide-ranging uh, guest we've had make references, because he's referenced Beyonce, J-Lo, Oprah, Eddie Fogler, uh, Buzz Williams, John Wooden, I mean, literally all across the spectrum of people, which is amazing. And uh, Coach, I wanted to ask you that. Like, I, I one of the podcasts I listen to is the Joe Rogan podcast, okay? And he recently had Matthew McConaughey on, the actor. 
And it couldn't be about acting or Hollywood any less, this two-hour podcast. Because McConaughey wrote a book about success and about how he got to where he was and then, you know, how he uses that in life and to, and to educate his children and all that. So how do you seek out these different books or podcasts or, you know, because obviously you talk about it, you've read a book by Pete Carroll, who's not a basketball coach. You were a basketball coach. So how do you search out those things and find those things? Well, because I read a lot and everyone thinks, okay, well, you all, when people say they read a lot, everyone automatically assumes it's books, but it's really not for me. It's books. Uh, it's newspaper articles. Uh, I am trying to get into this decade by actually reading things on the computer versus I like to have the ink of the newspaper on my fingertips. Um, and, and my dad used to be that way too. So maybe I took that trait from him. So my reading is in uh, all forums, blogs, newsletters, uh, tweets. You know, I always get ripped because I, I, have, I don't follow anybody on my Twitter, but I do. I just don't want all that stuff coming to my phone because I know how this thing works and how it doesn't work. So, um, so I may read an article and there may be a reference to someone in that article. I'll then go on and research that person. And if it, if it is something that interests me, then boom, I go ahead and, um, uh, and try and get something about that person. Like, um, with, with this particular thing, we had mentioned, uh, uh, Pete Carroll's book. Um, I knew he was successful and I just kind of was reading the article and in the article it talked about how he created a philosophy. So then I started to research that and then it led me to this book. Um, and in this book is probably, uh, you know, it, it, it's almost a, a guideline. As a matter of fact, uh, you guys know I worked for Doc Rivers and um, for 13 years. And uh, I sent uh, Doc, uh, when he first took over the 76ers, um, some notes that I took from the book because they applied uh, to what he was going to, through in, in actually now starting to build a new program in Philadelphia. I also sent that, I'm not going to name the names, but to some college coaches uh, who got let go uh, because you can get let go and then give hold of the rope and then you never get back in and you never improve and you're never better once you get back in or you can get let go and still hold on to that rope and try to keep on climbing back up and one of the ways to climb back up is is self-reflection because uh, doc used to say this all the time if we want to win a championship we can never play the victim why? Because victims, whenever something goes wrong that they were a part of, it, it was somebody else's fault that led to them not being successful. Well, what you find out, because I've studied the victims in sports, and there's, there's commonalities with those types of players and people. Because if the victim thing doesn't work, the second step is to blame. Okay, I'm going to blame a teammate or I'm going to blame the assistant coach because he didn't teach it right. Then if blaming doesn't work, I'm going to try and recruit. Recruit a couple of teammates to see things my way. And if the recruiting doesn't work, 
then I'm going to try and tear the team down. Because if I'm going down, I'm taking the team with me. And then if that doesn't work, I'm gone. But I'm, I'm going through those four steps. Victim, vic, people who play the victim go through those steps, right? Because as I say to every fired coach, the biggest thing you can do is sit down, self-reflect, what part was your fault? Because this didn't happen just because of the AD. It didn't happen because of the players. And if you say it was because of the players, well, who chose them? You did. So that would be part of your fault. Maybe your evaluation process isn't good enough. Maybe, like Pete Carroll said, my staff didn't know what type of player is, is good and best under me. So, you know, self-reflection is so important. And here's who you need to invite to your self-reflection meetings. Number one, invite silence. Number two, invite paper and pen. And number three, make sure this, this gets an invitation. Your deepest thoughts. If you can get all three of those into your uh, self-reflection moments, you know, the thing for me, the other thing I try and do is, is the environment. Um, you know, for some people, running water makes them go to the bathroom. Running water for me makes me think deeper be more creative. So I like to have, you know, the sound of water many times or a great view of water. Uh, that's what kind of gets me going. So once again, I've been very good, very consistent. I have uh, uh, probably not answered the question, but maybe given you some stuff. Coach, let's just get to that out of the way. It's always the athletic director's fault. Yes. Well, what happens when you're the AD and the coach? <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's uh, you hired that's, the wrong coach. That's, that's yeah, quite, exactly. a, quite a conundrum. That's quite a conundrum. <laughs> coach, again, I'm, I'm floored. We're going to get to the greatest game here in a second, but I've got to respond to that. The self-reflection piece, uh, just the, the, the silence piece, the almost meditative piece, the ownership piece that you just referenced and, and, and Chris knows this and a lot of our listeners know this, I've mentioned it, but have, have been involved in some 12 step programs over the years. And that's, that's what it's all about. Like what, what's my part in it and how can I turn it over and, and, and keep moving on? And I just think that's so, so huge. And going back to one of your opening answers about the reactivity in the world today and, well, I got to save my piece. I've got to jump out there and how, as you pointed to your brain, you know how your brain works. I know how my brain works. I'm trying to get my limbic brain, my limbic system to jump onto something to make sense of this world and make it right, make it wrong and being able to step away. And I've, as you described your room, I'm seeing your room of, uh, of, of meditation really of just peace and just being able, that's, that's where things make sense. Things don't make sense on a screen. And, and, and it's just, I love what you're saying. And I, again, I know I'm making a joke about it, but I could talk to you for, for hours and hours and hours, mm -hmm. but coach, let's go ahead and get to the, uh, the next portion of our show, which again is, is, is the greatest game. So take us into the arenas. I know you've been a part of a lot of them. We're not going to pigeonhole you to one game, but tell us about your greatest games, please. Yeah, I think probably people who know my, my past would say, well, that's going to be easy for Kevin to answer. It's going to be the, um, <clears throat> the NBA championship in 2008 and uh, game six in Boston Garden, uh, where we beat the Lakers to win the, the world championship. That's the obvious one. But I think 
the more impactful ones happened before that. And um, I, I'm trying to think, in, in order, it would probably be the following. In 1973, our high school team, Haddonfield High School out of South Jersey, uh, won the state championship. And we played against a team from Orange, New Jersey. And um, everyone uh, predicted that, that, that they would beat us very, very soundly. And we were able to win the game. And I think we were, uh, and this is the lesson I learned as I think back on it uh, all these years, is uh, number one, that a true team, like if you are a true team, you can succeed sometimes over more talent. Not every time, like Doc used to say sometimes when we were playing some, some teams that were definitely better than us, hey, over the course of the year, they may beat us on most nights. But this is two-night, not most nights. This is two-night. And we can beat more talent two-night, right? And then I also learned that uh, – Work ethic and consistency of work can pay off. From the summertime pickup games that we organized ourselves to the uh, fall uh, games at the YMCA that I used to call and talk to our teammates uh, every day, making sure they would show up, right, so we could play five on five full court. Um, and then back then, we didn't know this word sacrifice. We, we didn't sacrifice. We just did what the coach thought we should do to win at a high level. And I guess when you think back on it, some guys did sacrifice, you know, articles in the newspaper. Uh, some guys did sacrifice shots per game, but we didn't call it that then. It was just what you did to be good. Right. So that was probably one game. Um, then when I was coaching at Belmont Abbey College, just outside of Charlotte, uh, we were in the NAIA back then. And um, we had a, a chance to go to the national tournament, which didn't happen often uh, at Belmont Abbey College, just to get into the tournament. And we were playing a, a school that is now Division One, but back then they were in the NAIA Carolinas Conference called High Point. It was High Point College back then. So when they were coached by the legendary Jerry Steele, and um, there's no question who everybody thought was going to win that game, High Point College. Even to the point where I didn't know this until after the game, Jerry was going to have played on the loudspeakers after they won. We're going to Kansas City, Kansas City, here we come. Because that's where the national, the national tournament was. All teams who made the national tournament were flown out to, to, to Kansas City to play in a tournament setting maybe even the first bubble, right? We all played there. It wasn't in these regional sites. So, um, so we ended up winning that game. And I remember that was the first time as a coach that I won a significant game that advances to places that the school hasn't been in a, maybe either ever or a long time. And what I found out there was, again, that um, if you just – are willing to um, understand a role, accept that role, and execute that role to the best of your ability, you can, as a group, maybe beat a team that people say you shouldn't beat. 
And I didn't know it at the time, but I think the way I expressed these roles to the players was, it's not something that I'm going to take away from you. Because many times players think a role is, okay, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. Like you may have a role for a player of rebound and defend. That's what you think the role is. What he thinks the role is, I can't shoot, I can't dribble, and I can't do my own thing. Right? Because as I often say in coaching clinics, uh, coaches and players spell the word role differently. Coaches spell it R-O-L-E. Players spell it S-U-C-K. They think you think they suck, right? So what, what we tried to do was to get to understand a role isn't something we're going to take away from you. A role is the value you bring to this team and a value we need to win at a high level. It's really important, this value we place on you. As a matter of fact, I never was successful at this, but I tried to get Doc to change, and we would, go, we would not have a roles meeting with players. We would have a value meeting with players. This is the value you bring to our team, right? And then it, that takes us to the one where I was a part of at the highest level of basketball, the NBA, professional basketball, where in 2008, um, we ended up beating the Lakers. And uh, the reason that game was important was not so much because of what we got, which was the ring and the title of NBA champions. You see, the two things happen when you become the best of the best in a given year or whenever. There's what you, be, what you get and there's what you become. So the value was that we became, all of us from coaches to players, because of what we had to go through, we became better right? We, like I became a better scouting report preparation guy, because if you don't do it to the nth degree, you may not win a championship. And that may mean more hours where you have to stay awake rather than go sleep, right? So I became even someone who, who, who could stretch themselves further than they thought they could prior to going through that. But I, what we learned there and what I learned is it's so important the people you choose to have in your program from your assistant coaches to your trainers, to those who are kind of what I call the team around the team. Because you may be saying something as a coach, but your trainer may be telling the player something completely opposite. Well, they see the trainer every day too, right? So the importance of choosing people um, uh, for your team and your staff. And then the, this concept we just talked about, role understanding. And it goes even to the degree of uh, not just role understanding, role acceptance, role execution, but a player has a role, but there's still 14 other players. So there has to be role respect. That's why for us, Doc always did the definition of roles at the center jump circle where all 15 players were around. And he might start with, okay, Kevin Garnett, this is your role this year. Paul Pierce, this is how I see your role. Eddie House, this is how I see your role. And even what some might consider the last man on our bench, Brian Scalabrini, this is your role, right? And he went through all 15. And the reason he did that is he wanted no misunderstanding. He didn't want any teammate to guess what someone else's role is because a lot of times they guess wrong, right? And when you have 
if you choose your players properly, the first thing we talked about that we learned with the Celtics, then they're going to be okay with, with people holding each other accountable. And our players held each other accountable to their roles, which was crucial to us winning. So I guess those would be maybe the three games that jump out in my mind that were important in, in, in my life and, and most importantly, the lessons learned. All right, uh, Coach, I got to jump in with a million things. First, Brian, we got a trivia question from that answer. Oh, great. Coach Eastman talked about playing High Point College when he was at Belmont Abbey and Coach Jerry Steele. Okay, what former basketball coach who's been mentioned on this podcast uh, did Jerry Steele coach in college? Oh, that was. Uh, uh, are you going to talk about Tubby Smith? No. No. Okay. I don't feel so bad. Um, ML, you have the answer, Brian? No, I don't. Oh, Dude. George David Odom at Guilford oh, College. Okay, all right. Oh, okay. I thought you said at High Point College because uh, did he also coach um, uh, ML Carr at Guilford? Oh, he might have, yeah. Yeah, yeah but we hadn't mentioned Carr or Tubby Smith. I had the chance to work for Tubby Smith one year in Kentucky as well. Yeah. Well, here's a, here's a great thing about Jerry. So we win in their gym, right? And uh, I had never experienced as a coach at that championship level uh, energy and enthusiasm and emotion. So I ended up actually going back to the bench and sitting down and just watching our players whoop it up. Well, all of a sudden I get a tap on my shoulder and I look up and Jerry's a big guy, not only in height, but in width too, right? He's just a big man. And he reaches into his, his pocket uh, of his suit uh, and he pulls a, cassette a little take your most listeners won't even know what that is granted <laughs> to me and i said uh, thanks coach what is this he said don't worry about what it is now just listen to it and make sure your players hear it before you have your first practice going to kansas city it was the tape of that song we're going to kansas city kansas city here we come which was the theme song of the tournament and um boy our guys we didn't really have high jumpers back then because we weren't real athletic, but some of our guys actually touched the net that day. They were so jacked up. <laughs> um, Coach, you, I think you did a great job of describing the greatest game being that NBA championship, but the ones that lead up to it are also great games because it shows the, the journey that we talked about early. And Brian, when, when I used to coach with Brian, whenever our kids would run sprints, Brian was a touch the line guy. If you can't touch the line every time, then you're never going to be able to do the other thing. So if you couldn't, not necessarily if you couldn't win that game at Haddonfield or couldn't win that, but those games build to that precipice of the greatest game, <clears throat> like with the Celtics. Uh, the question I wanted to ask you, though, was we had a, a former player from South Carolina in training camp with you that year, Brandon Wallace, with the Celtics. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember when Brandon came back after he, he got released and he came back and we were asking him questions about it. He said, Kevin Garnett, doesn't stop talking from the moment he hits the court and not talking trash of which Kevin was good at, but defense and what guys are doing. And let's go over here and the energy that someone like Kevin Garnett brings. Talk about that. Like the communication and energy that someone like Kevin Garnett brings to a team and what it means coming from a player, not just a coach. Yeah. Well, if you go into a, a successful team or a championship teams uh, practices or, and by successful, I mean, a team that gets the most out of their, their ability, that doesn't mean they, they even are above 500. 
but a successful team is someone who gets the most out of their ability. Uh, two things for sure. You hear sneakers squeaking and voices talking, right? Because when your sneakers squeak, you're, you're kind of, you're making sharper cuts and, and that sort of thing. Um, as a matter of fact, when we used to go through dummy offense, right? Or Doc used to call it skeleton offense, where we just practiced our plays. When someone went to set a screen, we wanted to hear their sneakers squeak rather than, you know, how they usually go through sets. I uh, come over here, kind of set a little bit of a screen. No, because the little things become big things in big games, right? Like the touch the line, the thing that you were talking about, Chris. Um, I bet you if we ran, say, a thousand suicides during the course of the year, because you don't run a lot of them in, in, in the pros, but maybe we would run, especially in training camp, I can't, and that's 15 players. So let's say we ran um, uh, 10 one day. So that's 150 reps. I can't think of one player who didn't touch every line. See, champions touch the line. I actually talk about that in one of my talks. Champions actually touch the line. And that means that you're going to finish your slide when someone's driving baseline. That means you're going to come over and help outside the lane to get a charge, right? They touch the line because when you touch the line, that means you finish the drill or you finish the execution of that drill. And finishing is so crucial. And with Kevin, his talk was in, 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 in different areas. One was no question uh, defensive uh, communication. Because what, you, what we found with the Celtics is um, uh, talk provides energy. Talk on defense can actually intimidate the opponent. Talk can uh, give you a head start on defense. Talk can eliminate mistake before a mistake happens. These were all things that we saw as we went through the year with, with Boston. Kevin often encouraged guys with his voice. But the one thing about Kevin's voice was this. And this is why I get, I get asked in corporate speeches and even when I speak to sports teams, whether that be NFL teams, whether that be, um, uh, you know, college football teams, I, I generally get asked the, the same question. Who's the best leader that you've ever been around? I automatically say Kevin Garnett. And the reason is not because of his talent and his ability, but because I think great leaders will never put demands on others that they will not put an equal to or greater demand on themselves. And that was Kevin. Kevin knew how important talk was to a successful team. Therefore, he put that demand on himself first. And Kevin was an example leader, actually. People talk about his voice, but his truest form of leadership was his example leadership because he showed them what he wanted them to be. Right. And that's what great leaders do. Be who you want them to be. Like they say in, in the corporate world, leadership is a, a is a corner office. No, leadership is actually getting out of the office. Right. Leadership is about they always say in the books, leadership is about the messages you send. No, when you're a leader, you are the message. And they are either seeing, listening or observing what that message is each and every day. That's who Kevin was. 
you, you mentioned so much and Chris, I appreciate that memory. I've kind of forgotten about those days of making, uh, making kids touch lines. And as our, our good friend, uh, George Glimp, the coach, I'm, I'm sure you've met along the way, the first NBA director of player development back in the day with Jermaine O'Neal, great, uh, Eau Claire, great year from Columbia. But, uh, he talked, you know, you know, you know, coach, he talks in acronyms, the KYP, know your personnel, KYR, know your role. Just like what everything you were talking about, just know your role and, and, and giving kids and giving, and I know what you're doing and with your corporate speaking, which we'll talk a little bit about as we wrap up here in a minute, but it's the same, it's all applicable, right? It's, Hey, I need you to answer the phones in a way that it, 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 it speaks to our company's values. And I need, you know, and so everything that you're saying, I just, I love so much, but want to jump in before Chris asked our, our final question. All right, Coach, final question here today. What word or phrase do you want people to associate with the name Kevin Eastman? Uh, sharer. He's willing to share. Um, because I've, I've had a, a very fortunate career and, and been around some great people and great teams. And then because of that, I've been able to be around, uh, you know, down in your area, the Dabo Sweeney's of the world. Uh, you know, unbeknownst to me, Dabo had actually read my book and actually used it each Friday night before they played. This was last year with his team, right? Uh, you don't know these things when you write a book. So I've been able to be around guys like that, uh, sitting down with Nick Saban in his office when I was down speaking to um, uh, Alabama uh, basketball team. Uh, I, unbeknownst to me, Nick had read the book as well, and he just wanted to talk for a half hour about the book and some things. So uh, I think the more you share, the more that opens up for you. Like um, when we're young, we're trying to acquire knowledge. And I think if you're going to live this life the right way as you get older, it, it, it's still acquiring knowledge, but it's more importantly sharing that knowledge and sharing those experiences that maybe others may not have had a chance to and will not have a chance to experience. So. Uh, and then I, I, I would say uh, humble and integrity would also be words that I would hope uh, uh, people. And just the common, you know, like we say in Jersey, that's a good guy. Coach, I know you mentioned it, traveling to, to Clemson and uh, all the, the corporate things that you're doing at KevinEastman.net. Our listeners can learn more about it at Kevin Eastman on Twitter. But is there anything that you else that you'd like to share about what you're doing now and the things that, that you are, are, are trying to accomplish? And, and again, how, how fans and listeners can get in touch with you to fly you in and, and speak to their groups? Yeah, well, they can, they can um, email me at Kevin. Oof. I should know this. <laughs> Kevin at KevinEastman.net. Yeah. Uh, they can email. My face is turning red. Uh, yo, man, you've got a company. You don't even know how people can get in. <laughs> uh, but, uh, my wife, Wendy, and I uh, kind of run the speaking business. And um, uh, if people. It sounds like your wife runs the speaking business, if you don't know. Yeah, I mean, in terms of operations and, <laughs> and dealing, uh, working with people and trying to to help people and, and make these things work. You know, now it's more Zoom oriented. Um, and uh, uh, so I try and adjust the fees based on that too, uh, because I know people are going through some difficult times. Um, you know, obviously you may speak to a large corporation and they have the wherewithal to uh, provide the fee that they would have you come in live, right? Well, maybe a, uh, college 
basketball team or football team doesn't have what normally they would do, right? So we try and um, it kind of is in the, 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 the realm of just being a good guy. You know, it's tough times right now. So we try and do our best so that it's a win-win for everyone. Coach, that, that comes through loud and clear. And I know you're joking about not being able to remember your email address, but the thing that that screams to me is back to your answer to Chris's question. You're a sharer and that comes through. This is, this is, none of this is about you. It reminds me of our episode with Phil Martelli a couple episodes ago. Um, it's just, just pure, pure basketball, pure sharing, pure love and care of other people. And you happen to do it through basketball and corporate speaking now and team speaking now. And um, I'm blown away by, by this last 47 minutes with you. And we just can't thank you enough for, for coming on the greatest games with us. This has been, this has been incredible. No, my pleasure. I mean, I, I really get back to what I said in the beginning, you know, without uh, uh, you guys doing what you're doing and, and actually sharing these things with others and, and uh, your ability to just kind of contact people and say, hey, we'd love to have you. You know, what you find out in life is when you ask, sometimes they actually do say yes. So um, uh, people don't know if they don't know. So thanks for sharing uh, all of the, the, the guests you've had uh, because, uh, you know, no matter who it is and what field they're in, we can all learn something from someone. So Jay Billis said something to me at one point that, that has stuck with me forever. This is about 15 years ago. And he said, everyone you meet knows something you don't. So when I left there and thought about it and put it into my Wilt notebook and went deeper with it, that means be open-minded no matter what position they hold, how old they are. Like for me, if I have a, a, a computer or, or a tech issue, I'm going to somebody much younger than me because they know so much more than me about it, right? I'm not going to try and like pretend I know stuff, right? So for, um, now that's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end where I started. I have no idea how I got to that. <laughs> that's what I got to. So somehow you guys got to figure out where to go next. Yeah, well, we, we appreciate you answering that call. And you're right, what a world we live in that we're able just to connect over this internet thing, right? And then have a conversation, a, a life-giving conversation that you've provided for, for me and Chris and for all of our listeners. And again, just can't thank you enough, but we'll go ahead and, and wrap this one up for now. Again, I could talk for another, I think, 12 hours now with you, but for my co-host, Chris de Blasio, I'm Brian Rosefield, and thank you for listening to this episode of The Greatest Game. You know, many of you have asked, how can I support the show even further? Well, here's the answer. Visit teachhoops.com slash 816 basketball. Check out all the incredible content that Coach Collins has at teachhoops.com. But again, teachhoops.com slash 816 basketball. Support the show and learn and grow at the same time.